What's going on? Welcome to my little podcast. I want to start with um, something that I just watched on the internet that is absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and this is for the Jeopardy fans out there. You know you watch Jeopardy and you're like, these fucking eggheads, why are they this much smarter than me? <laughs> you get annoyed. I mean, you can answer a few of the questions, but after a while you're like, these Fucking big brains are making me look stupid. And you're by yourself watching Jeopardy. Uh, I take such pleasure in playing this quick clip from Jeopardy. There was a football category, and this is what happened. Enjoy. Uh, football 200. Your choice, do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. It's an option play. Ryan? <laughs> uh, football, 400. I can tell you guys are big football fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Landry perfected the shotgun formation with this team. Dallas Cowboys. Uh, do you think we should go to commercial? <laughs> Brian? Take it on to 600. Okay, by signaling for one of these, a returner can reel in a kick without fear of getting tackled. Fair catch. Two clues left, Ryan. 800. These penalties are simultaneous violations by the offense and defense that cancel each other out. And they are called offsetting penalties. Let's look at the uh, $1,000 clue, just for the fun of it. <laughs> Jimmy? As Minneapolis's U.S. Bank Stadium prepares to host Super Bowl 52, I'm looking at the Ring of Honor with names from this defensive line that took the Vikings to four Super Bowls. If you guys ring in and get this one, I will die. <laughs> Who are the purple people eaters? We're going to take a break. I have to talk to them. Let's see what's going on today. Good morning, everybody. Rock your body. Backstreet Boys. Good morning, Brian Bernard. How are you, buddy? And Chris Rocco and Tish Negron and Ryan Anderson. One of the haters said, your podcast, all it is is saying hi to people. <laughs> I spend a minute at the beginning of some podcast to uh, say hi to the people that support me, and now that's a problem, too. What's going on, Dennis Howland and Sean? How are you? And Lewis and Gail. What's up, Gail? And Joe, how are you, man? Yeah, beautiful day. How's everybody doing? Everyone all right? Staying away from that coronavirus? Oh, God, I'm so sick of talking about the fucking coronavirus. Greetings from Charleston, South Carolina. I like that. What's up, man? Yeah, what up? All right, top of the morning back to you. Okay. Boo to the Rona? Uh, no shit, Lou. You're sick of the virus, too, and all the bullshit in the world? Yes. I don't know, man. Everyone just wants to go back to how life was, and it's just 
becoming, I don't know, I would say impossible. Baseball thought that uh, they had it figured out. And I think baseball goes away. I, I, I think they were just really, really stupid. I think the NBA has it figured out if it's going to work by keeping their players in a bubble. Uh, the NHL's doing the same thing, keeping their players more or less in a bubble. But baseball, just greedy, like, fuck that. We're all in. We're going to play at empty stadiums, and we're going to be traveling around the country. And that's going to turn out to be uh, no bueno. So you got the Marlins with the coronavirus, and then now the Phillies are scared. They might have the coronavirus because they played the Marlins. That shit's going to spread very quickly, and they will shut down baseball very, very soon. Uh, John Cassidy, you sending your kids back to school? Ah, uh, hell no. My kids actually don't want to go back. Um, they're trying, man. I mean, the school they go to, it's so obvious they're just trying to save the school. They rented space at an old church, and they're uh, going to throw the kids in, like, one classroom, and they can't move around at all and uh in this email we we received i didn't see anything in there that says and we guarantee the safety of your your child so uh i don't think my kids are going back in september i guess we'll start with that online learning now look this is a big fucking topic i understand we got kids all over the goddamn country and as parents we're going nuts and we want our kids to socialize i understand all that and it's really important to the economy that we send the kids back to school so then both parents could go back to work. I get all of it. And I got to understand that when I, when I do these live streams and these podcasts that I'm talking to the entire country, I mean, let's be honest, small pockets of the entire country. I see my numbers. Ooh, I got 20 people in Dayton, Ohio listening to me. Uh, but here's the deal. Look, in New York City, it's very, very different than other parts of the country and uh the general consensus in my circle you know you'll always have people pushing back and saying it's bullshit but the general consensus is that um new york city is is still too scary to send your kids back to school and i'm not sacrificing uh my kids uh so we could have a great economy again i'm i'm not i, I i'm just not willing to do that call me fucking nuts my kids come first but you're lucky, Obi. You don't have to work anymore. And that's why your opinion is such. You've lost touch with America. You've lost touch with your fan base. Oh my God. I'm a parent first. If I was still at BAB making, uh, what was I making at BAB? 40000 a year? No, I don't even think I was making 40000 I think I was making 28000 a year at BAB. And I was rocking the nights. Those motherfuckers, another radio company that took advantage of the Opster. Um, if I was at BAB and I was still doing the nighttime attitude and I was making my 28000 a year, guess what? I'd, I'd still keep my, my kids home. But I do understand. Let's relax, everybody. I do understand that there could be parts of the country where you could open up some uh, schools safely. How about that, okay? But I, what I don't understand is, let's say you're from one of those uh, places in America where you really feel like they could open up the schools safely. 
You can't now take that thought and throw it at everyone like, well, it's safe for my kids in my tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, so everybody should be sending their kids back to school. That's where the problem lies, I think. <sighs> and I know we need our kids to socialize. I know they miss their friends. This is a new normal. That's why we got to try to figure out how we uh, work around all that stuff. What the hell is wrong with people these days? These days? I think it's always been like this, but uh, for whatever reason, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to show your assholery. People used to hide in the shadows, but not anymore. I think people were always assholes. Always. Uh, yeah, I understand. Oh, my God. Please listen. I, I don't want to talk to people that uh, search uh, out others to take their SATs for them. I want free-thinking people that are listening. Uh, Jason, and I love you, Jason. I know you're a regular. And the, uh, and the inverse is true. Just because your place isn't safe doesn't mean mine isn't. I, I pretty much said that. It's a case-by-case -case basis, I guess. But here's the problem. People, people have an opinion on something based on... Um, uh, their area, let's say, and then they just feel like because it's safe for them that the whole country's safe, and it's just not true, man. New York City is still really fucking scary, and now we got the rats eating each other. They're so hungry that they're now eating each other in New York City, the rats. That's how bad it's getting, and uh, look it up. Just Google New York City rats. Um, a lot of restaurants that are trying to survive, they got outdoor dining and the rats are so hungry, they're just pretty much sitting on park benches and chairs and they're crawling across people's feet as they eat because they're just desperate for any morsel they could get. And rats don't play. They're like, really? We don't have fucking food? Well, guess what? We're going to eat each other. And I think that has... I think that uh, humans aren't far behind. I think, I think we're not much better than rats. Uh, the rats eating each other is good, though. Yeah, well, I haven't back to I haven't been back to New York um, a lot, but keeping in touch with people that still live there, and I, I and I honestly have seen a couple rats just dead on the street. But people in general are saying, dude, the amount of rats that are just dead on the street is really, really fucking creepy. Uh, yeah, there's too many rats in New York, but we feed them. That's what's so interesting about New York. We feed the rats. There's not enough food for the rats naturally to survive the only reason we have so many rats in new york and they survive is because uh of all the garbage all the garbage that we uh put on the street waiting for you know you can't say garbage man you know the sanitation department guys to come around can't say garbage men anymore cancel culture will get the best of you if you say garbage men I respect the garbage man, my God. I don't know how they deal with the smell of the garbage. I, I don't know, do you, do you just eventually get used to it? I heard they put Ben Gay under their noses, but then other garbage men, uh, the newbies that do that, they laugh at those motherfuckers. Uh, so then you're like hating the smell of the garbage, but you don't want to be looked at as a pussy. Can't say pussy either, cancel culture will take you out. For saying pussy. But then the other garbage men, they look at you like, oh my God, don't be a pussy. The smell isn't that bad. And then you begrudgingly throw your Bengay or Vicks or whatever the hell you're using into the gutter with the dead rats.
<laughs> it's peer pressure for all of us. How's the DDP yoga going? That's a great question, man. I hope you listened to the episode. Diamond Dallas Page out of nowhere um, announces that he has the coronavirus, which was amazing to me because he took it very, very seriously. But, you know, he let his guard down. A lot of us are letting our guards down because we just simply can't help ourselves. We, we need to enjoy our summers especially. And, you know, I think it was a bridal shower that his daughter went to or something. And then there was peer pressure because... Because people uh, weren't really wearing masks. And then you were wearing a mask. And then people started looking at you. Look at that snowflake. They believe that masks will prevent you from getting the coronavirus. Let's shame them until they take their mask off. Oh, and I know you wear the mask to protect others. I understand that. Ah, what does all this mean? I don't know. It's the same garbage day in and day out. And then you got the left using a old, an old George Carlin um, clip to make their point that Trump has to go. And I'm sitting there yelling and screaming. You don't know who George Carlin is. He was against the system. He was against both sides. He knew that... Uh, uh, the political system in America was severely damaged. He would be so pissed off that the left is using one of his political rants to go after Trump and the right. Oh, this is so infuriating to me. Say what you want about America, land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers. Yeah. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. By the way, it's the same big club they use to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe all day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on. The fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. Now look, if you really sat down and thought about it, sure, George Carlin, he probably was, uh, no, we kind of all know, right? He was more of a lefty than not, but he also, more importantly, was against the system first. First, he would have hated Trump. And I wonder if, uh, you know, all the haters out there would have called George Carlin a snowflake. That guy was fucking brilliant. Uh, Pizzagate, Pizzagate is as fake as they come. I saw a documentary on that. I felt really bad for that pizza place in Washington. It's as fake as it as it comes. 
gunman uh, a gunman actually showed up at the pizza place and they had to arrest him it was really really scary i think he burst into that pizza place i forgot the name of it at this point because i didn't think i was going to talk about this and uh it was a really really scary situation i felt really bad for that business because um the community really really liked that pizza joint speaking of documentaries someone one of you motherfuckers turned me on to a great documentary on netflix basically they go through how they took out the the mob in new york city with rudy giuliani and they came up with the rico law and they figured out that's a way to take down the mob. And then they realized that the mob, all five families, were in on it together. And they were able to take them out. And this documentary is amazing. It's like four or five parts. I wish, I wish they did more, but they had all sorts of wiretappings and recordings that they played during this documentary. It is so interesting and so intriguing. And then they talk about how they had to get the wires into all the mob bosses' homes and cars and stuff. And man, you're on the edge of your seat watching this thing because it was so fucking scary. One of the mob bosses, they figured out that the guy uh, had cable TV and CNN way back in the day when uh, that all just started up. So they figured that they could fuck with his cable signal. And they knew if they fucked with his cable signal that they would um, they would call the cable company saying, hey, you gotta fix, fix my fucking cable, man. And that's exactly what happened. And then the feds go in making believe they're the cable guys. And then they're at the TV with the guy and they're tapping on the TV. And that's the signal for the guy in the truck to fuck with the signal to, to show that uh, there's a problem with the cable signal. And then, uh, you know, the mob boss is satisfied that uh, this guy could fix the problem. There was never a problem. It was just the feds fucking with his cable. And then, you know, lo and behold, that's how they got a, uh, a wire into, into this mob boss's uh, home in Staten Island. The documentary is really amazing, man. And then, and, and then they also go into how they got a wire in uh, one of the cars because they realized they were doing a lot of business in the, in the car. Holy fuck, was that fucking scary. They were able to get the, the wire in the car, but they hooked it up to the battery. So it was draining the battery of this, uh, I think it was a Jaguar, I want to say. So um, this, this guy, I, don't, I think he was an underboss, actually. This guy, he calls the dealership. He says, hey, you got to fix my fucking car, man, or I'll take out your goddamn family. Then the feds uh, follow the flatbed truck that has the the car on it, and they know they got to get the wire out of the car before they get it to the dealership because the dealer's going to say, what the fuck is this in your car? It was behind the heating unit or whatever, the, uh, the vent, excuse me. So then they had a uh, Suffolk County uh, police officer pull over the flatbed truck. Turns out this guy who uh, was driving the flatbed truck for the dealer had a suspended license. So they fucked with the guy on the side of the road. And as they're doing that, the feds run into the uh, up onto the flatbed truck, get in the car and take the wire out. And then the Suffolk County police more or less gave him a summons or whatever. And he was on his way. And then... The uh, dealer fixed the car, quote, fixed the car. There's nothing to fix at this, beca- uh, at this point because the problem was, uh, you know, the wire was hooked up to the battery. They, re- they give the car back to the, I think, like I said, it was an underboss. And then the feds, this is the balls they had, man, as they were playing their cat and mouse game with the, with the mob. They actually were able to put the wire back into the same car. They followed the guy 
and he parked far away from a restaurant because it was like uh, one of the last spots available for whatever function they were doing at the time. And the feds were able to get in there and put the wire back. And they show how they were practicing putting the wire in and they got it down to like less than a minute to get the wire into the, into the mobster's uh, car. This fucking thing was great. I just wish they had more recordings from uh, the wiretaps. And I wish they went into the history of the mob a little more in New York City. But the mob was controlling pretty much all the cement in New York City. So every big, huge uh, skyscraper that was going up, the mob controls the, uh, controlled the concrete for all those jobs. And they were all in it together. So they were all bidding on the jobs, knowing that they were all overbidding. Let's say a job was worth, I don't know, $8 million, right? Uh, the lowest bid would be $10 million. And then the other mob families would, 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 or concrete companies that the mob controlled, excuse me, uh, they would bid higher than that. And then, you know, then they would accept the bid at $10 million, even though the job was probably only worth eight, but that was the lowest bid. The mob controlled New York City and all that uh, construction that went on in, uh, what, what was the big heyday for all the buildings? The 80s, I think. It's a great documentary, though, man. Oh, you love the, the doc, Kevin? Yeah, right on. I'm going to dip into the Rolling Stones documentary. What is it called? Olay Olay? That's getting really good reviews. Uh, that's uh, the time they toured Latin America and did the big concert in Cuba. Supposedly, it's really good and has some really good behind-the-scenes footage. So, Oh, by the way, in that documentary, the mob documentary, I kind of recognized a few names. From my days caddying for them at the Huntington Crescent Club. Kind of recognized a few names and even said to myself, but that guy was really nice to me. <laughs> uh, I'm not at the Outer Banks, my friend. Uh, we wanted to rent a house. I want to bring my kids down to the Outer Banks. We used to rent houses on the, um, the 4x4 beach where you, you got to drive in with your car. I highly recommend that vacation to anybody that's watching or listening to this. It is a great vacation. You get a bunch of families. These houses are giant. They're affordable when you get a few families involved. And uh, they all come with like movie rooms and pools. And some have elevators. And some of these houses can sleep like, I don't even know, 20, 30 people comfortably. And if you do do it, man, you really feel like you're you're away and, and get one on the uh, 4x4 beach in the Outer Banks. Uh, some, you know, they want to be closer to town, but there's so much more action there. We always rented it on the 4x4 beach, and then we only went to town two or three times in a two-week period. We brought everything in we needed, and then you really felt like you were away. And then at night when, the, when the, uh, the sun's going down, there's just wild horses all over the fucking place. But we got gun shy because we got knocked out twice by hurricanes. And I don't think we've been back since. Because it's a real bummer when one of those hurricanes starts heading toward the Outer Banks. And then all the fucking fear-mongering weathermen. Yes, I'm talking to you, Al Roker. I never forgot. I personally went after Al Roker and he, he, uh, <laughs> he contacted me. And I had to tell him, I'm just fucking pissed. I lost a week of my vacation because you you were fear-mongering this damn hurricane that uh, turned out to be a bust. But we still had to fucking leave, Al Roker. Uh, I told that story too, but it's kind of worth telling because 
The only reason I left, my son was a newborn. He was only three or four months old. Me and my brother, his family went. We're looking like, ah, my brother does his own weather, by the way, which is awesome because you, you take all the fear out of it because, you know, weather people, just like news people, they, they're all about pushing that fear because if they push the fear, then you're going to watch longer. That's why you kind of got to filter your news as best you can because it's all bullshit no matter what channel you watch. And my brother, he just had it, and he just does his own weather. And it's it's he's more accurate than than the Weather Channel, I think, because even they are into the fear mongering. Uh, if they weren't into the fear mongering, they wouldn't put their weathermen out in the middle of a fucking hurricane. Like, oh my god, it's unbelievable out here. If you can't stay home, like anyone would put themselves in the positions they put themselves in during a a. a a nor'easter or a hurricane. God, it's all fucking garbage. God, the whole world is garbage. Actually, it's not garbage, though. Uh, Bill Hicks famously talked about how bad the news was, you know, talking about murder and robbery and riots and this and that and hurricanes and natural disasters. And then he said, you know what? Then I turned off the TV and I looked out the window and all I could hear is crickets. It's a brilliant bit by uh, Bill Hicks. And very, very important. And he said this shit 25 years ago and we're still doing it. But anyway, this hurricane's coming to the Outer Banks. My brother does his little weather and he goes, Dude, I'm, I'm pretty confident that this is going to not be that bad. We should stay. And I look at my wife and she's just nodding her head like, Nah. And I understand we have a, you know, we have a newborn, you know, if I'm single and no kids and no responsibilities, I'm riding out hurricanes every single time, to be completely honest with you. I think it'd be amazing. I mean, I would try to be smart, though. I'm not, you know, I would have to really figure out where I could go to to ride it out. But uh, the locals, they're like, dude, we've been doing this for for our entire lives what you got to do, because they do check the rental properties, just park your car in the back. So when they drive by your house, because they're kind of lazy, if they don't see cars in the front, they assume you left and they're not going to knock on your door and say, mandatory ev- evacuation, you got to leave. And I'm like, thank you, man. I appreciate that tip, you know. But in the end, because of Al Roker and the rest of them with the fear we drove our asses uh, away from the Outer Banks, about 100 miles. And uh, as we're leaving, all the locals are on their decks and porches. And they, the locals hate all the tourists. But all the locals, they got their drinks in their hand. And they're dramatically and sarcastically going, bye, and waving goodbye to all the tourists. Because the locals are like, we know this ain't shit. And we're staying. And these dummies are now going to be in a traffic line. For 10 or 12 hours because there's not many ways uh, out of the Outer Banks. And that was true. We were in traffic forever. And we finally found a hotel about 100 miles away. And we had to wait it out there for about, uh, I don't know, four or five days. And then we felt like it was safe because, you know, Al Roker was telling us still how dangerous it is to be on on the Outer Banks, especially... And then we get back to our house. We just killed four or five days of a two-week vacation in a real shitty fucking hotel with no Wi-Fi, by the way. 
That went out for whatever reason. We get back. And the cleaning people, because they go through this every season, they assume if you leave, you're not coming back. So they took everything. They took everything. All our beer, our wine, our pasta, all our cleaning supplies, all our food. They took everything. We had a special detergent detergent for my newborn. They took that. And then we uh, go into town like, fuck this. And we had a list, man. We sat around that living room making a list. And the list was long. And we went into town and we marched in and we said, here's all this stuff your cleaning people took from us and we want to be reimbursed. They said, we have no responsibility. And how dare you accuse our cleaning people of taking your stuff. And we wouldn't let it go. And eventually they gave us pennies on the dollar. Uh, because they couldn't really explain. I'm like, so how did this happen? And they go, well, you obviously got broken into by locals. I'm like, oh, really? So why wasn't there any broken windows or uh, broken doors? Everything was sealed up nicely. And why did they uh, turn the air conditioning off to save you know, energy? Because they assumed that no one was going to be here anytime soon. Will you take $500? I'm like, $500? It's well over 1000 you fucks. But we took the $500, and then we went back... And it kind of, uh, you know, it left a bad taste in our mouth. I'm not going to lie to you. We, uh, we haven't been back since. And we used to love it there in the Outer Banks with the wild horses. Thoughts on Regis? I told you my Regis story. Everyone uh, talks about how nice Regis was. And um, I just happened to work out on the same, at the same gym as Regis Philbin. He came into that gym and he looked fucking miserable every time. I never saw him smile. He was, uh, he gave off um, uh, an energy like, don't fucking even think of approaching me. And then I was thinking about it. I was trying to be fair. And I was thinking, you know, that guy was so fucking famous that maybe he just got sick of people always bothering him. So he figured out a way when he's in public to give this look like, yeah, you don't want to approach me. I have no desire to, to you know, be fun, uh, jovial Regis while I'm working out in the gym. I'm just trying to get some reps in. Uh, but that guy, man, he was an animal on the machines. And I didn't realize how old he was. I think he was just shy of 89 years old. And it wasn't that long ago I saw him at my, my gym just pumping iron. He was damn impressive. And I would be no more than, well, one machine away from him. And I just knew never to say hi to the guy. He wasn't a dick. He wasn't a dick, but he definitely wasn't approachable. Uh, but it's sad, man. He, he was a legend. Dude, I saw Kelly and Ryan. I couldn't believe how bad uh, that was. She's wherever, and he's in California, and I think she's somewhere in the New York area, maybe at a beach house or something, and they do like 15 minutes where they just kind of go back and forth. I couldn't believe how bad their banter was. And then you realize that with all these, with all the production, it makes all these TV shows so much better. I mean, I think you know that by now if you even tried to watch the late-night uh, talk shows. They're, they're terrible with the, without the audience laughing. You realize 
there's, it's nothing really special. And the production people for these big shows, man, they should all get huge raises because I think that's what, what's happening with uh, with us all in kind of quarantine. Uh, you, you see, um, you know, these people that are supposedly huge personalities and without the supporting staff around them, it, it's not good at all, man. They had nothing to talk about, Kelly Ripa and Ryan Seacrest. Worse banter than you and Norton? Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Jimmy was very, very tough to have a a back and forth conversation with. He was a he was absolutely a challenge. I mean, in the heyday of the Opie and Anthony show, you know, Jimmy more than played his part. Of course he did. But uh just kind of shooting the shit for long periods of time, it was very very difficult. I mean, and I I'm not here to trash Jimmy. I, maybe we just didn't have the chemistry. I I found him to be um uh, probably the most difficult. I, I, I always found it pretty easy in general with the comics that came through to just kind of have banter and just go back and forth and find the laughs. But um, with Jimmy, it was really, really tough. Uh, yeah, Jimmy and Ant definitely had more chemistry. Uh, you know, I mean, it started where me and Anthony had amazing chemistry. And then slowly but surely... Uh, it turned into Jimmy and Anthony had the chemistry. Uh, I don't think they ever had the, the the chemistry me and Anthony had in our heyday, but they absolutely had chemistry. And uh, I was odd man out. That's pretty obvious at this point. It happens. They always say it's tough to do something with three. Three is a bad number. Two is a good number. Three is a horrible number because there's always going to be two out of the three that get along way better. And that uh, could uh, create some conflict. What's the next few podcasts about? John, I have no idea. I mean, I got a lot of podcasts that I got to do. I promised Tammy Pescatelli I would go over a, a, a good housekeeping article from 1957, I think. Uh, and they talk about how women should behave. It's unbelievable. I've touched on this article over the years, but I want to go through the whole thing with Tammy Pescatelli. Maybe squeeze in some uh, Sue Costello on that one, too. Just shows you we've come a long way. <laughs> we have come a long way because, wow, women were truly second-class citizens even as far back as uh, the late 50s. I remember, I mean, I'm old enough to remember that when I was growing up, the mothers that uh, actually wanted to work were looked at as, like, strange Looked at as very strange, man. And we had uh, we had one mom in our circle of friends, and she would dress up really nice. And I think she worked in the makeup industry or something. And she was kind of a big deal. And she was uh, she had a career. And I remember we all looked at my friend like, "Your mom's weird. <laughs> why why does she want a career? This is in my lifetime, which is I I know how bad that sounds, but." She would go off to work dressed really nice, and we just did not understand it. And he was one of the first people that I remember that went home to an empty house. The rest of the moms just simply didn't work. Now, sadly, everybody in the household has to work. I hate that. I hate that everyone in the household has to fucking work. I, I don't think that's okay. It shouldn't be so bad that you're worried about living from paycheck to paycheck that everybody in the house has to work. I don't like that. 
You should have the choice. One one of the parents should have the choice. Like, you know what? I'm kind of bored at home, so I think I'm going to get myself a job. Or I've always wanted to start my own career, so I'm going to do that. But not now, man. Everyone just has to work no matter what. And then we yell and scream how great America is. Oh, it's so infuriating. Uh, what's up, Gary? I have not checked on my mom recently. No, I have not. I haven't talked to her in uh, three years. And uh, with the coronavirus, you know, I'm staying away from uh, where she's at. I'll be totally honest with you, Gary. As I sit here and record this, I don't even know if my, mo- my mom's alive. I've, I honestly don't know. Because she would kind of be... <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, I'm laughing at a couple things, but... Uh... <laughs> hey, what's up, Billy DeTore? Uh I'm laughing because, you know, I, I, I kind of like uh, the dark side when it comes to humor. It, I wouldn't put it past my mom that she told everybody around her. Like, I once uh, tried to get, like, medical records uh, uh, about my mom, and they wouldn't give them to me. And I'm her son. Never looked into why that is. But I'm laughing because my mom's the type of person that she would request that if she died, that they wouldn't be allowed to tell anyone. <laughs> she would absolutely do that. So when I say I don't know, Gary, if my mom's alive, I mean it with every fiber of my body. Ah, she was, you know, she did the best she could. I understand that more and more as I get older. And I try to remember some of the good times. Oh, but that leads to the, the letter from 1982 that my dad wrote in the middle of the night explaining my mom. I'm supposed to do that podcast soon as well. And then um, Judd Jones and I, we want to do an episode where we just talk about the last waltz. I want to really, really try to spin out of this fucking coronavirus crap, man. Uh, hey, Chris, what's your brother's and sister's relationship with your, your mother? Same as you? Yeah, pretty much. Across the board, pretty much. You know, I'm one of seven, eight, nine kids, and uh, without giving too many details, I would say out of the seven, eight, nine, maybe, wow, maybe one, possibly two, sort of keep in touch with her. We just had to put up our boundaries. Anyone that deals with, like, mental illness in their families, you understand that sometimes you got to make the tough choices, and... uh, I had to make that tough choice years ago, and uh, I don't really regret it at all. My, uh, one of my goals in life is to just completely break the cycle. I think I'm doing a very good job as far as that goes. I'm a much different parent than what my, uh, my parents were. Um, and, you know, we joke about this, but I think a lot of parents think about this. We want to fuck up our, our kids in new ways. That's my goal, to fuck them up in new ways. I don't want to fuck them up the same way I was fucked up. Not at all. So that's my my simple goal as being a parent. And it should be yours. When you realize you're doing the exact same thing that pissed you off as a child, you got to stop. You got to figure out how to spin out of that. You got to. I think think we do a good job as parents. I really do. Uh, Hey, Billy, you want to be in on the Last Waltz uh, podcast? I, of course it's the best. He puts it in giant capital letters like I don't know. I watch The Last Waltz two or three times a year at this point. 
Levon Helms, I said it, and I'm going to say it again, one of the greatest vocal performances ever. One of the greatest performances ever because he's just jamming on the keyboards as he's singing The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down is one of the greatest vocals ever recorded, my friends. I challenge you to come up with a better vocal performance. What do you got? What do you got off the top of your head? And now you can't even say uh, old Dixie, I guess. So in another couple of years, cancel culture will take that out and you won't even be able to find that amazing performance anywhere. All right. I hope you guys are good, man. Uh, hold on. Let's go to EJ. Looks like he needs a little help. Feel like I'm fucking up my kid my by not letting him do playdates because of Rona while his buddies are all getting together. Dude, EJ, I'm so with you. We don't know what to do, and most of us don't. We're playing it incredibly safe. I know it's a little easier because a lot of the time we're out here at this beach, so it makes it a little easier. Even in my own family, uh, you know, some of the families, uh, without going into specifics, you know, they're letting their guard down a bit. Um, I had a, um, a nephew, he's, uh, I think he's, oh my God, I think it's his birthday today. He turns 22 today. Oh my God, it's his birthday. I got to give him a text. Um, 22, that's unbelievable. I remember when he was born. But anyway, he had a Airbnb close to where we are right now. And he wanted to come by with my other nephew to say hi. And I had to tell him. Ah, uh, dude, I, uh, you know, I would love, love, love to see you guys. And it's kind of cool that they're now at that age where I can just sit around and have a beer with them, which I find, you know, kind of weird. Because I used to pick this kid up when he was four, five years old and take him to Islanders games. And it was my responsibility to keep him alive. <laughs> and I didn't know how to be a, a parent at that point. And now he's just drinking beers and... You know, and he's on all those dating apps, and uh, he's just loving life. And, you know, he's young, so he doesn't feel like he has to worry too much about the coronavirus, and he wanted to see his uncle. Of course he wanted to see, it. He wanted to see his uncle, because this is what I got. I got. I got ocean view. But I had to tell him, dude, we're fucking wimps. We're taking this very seriously still. And then he didn't write me back. <laughs> Dad, we're good, though. Do another. Do smaller. Hey, uh, Roger Downs. I want to give you credit. Do smaller outdoor get-togethers with people you trust that you know are taking precautions. It's not a bad idea, you know. I think with this coronavirus, what I see around me is that uh, there's an attitude out there. People are thinking, "Oh my God, my family and friends. They're they're taking it seriously, and and they're not dirty. They're not." They're, they don't have the coronavirus. Only dirty people have the coronavirus. I kind of get that feel. That people are like, look, man, it's not that they're sacrificing. I really believe they think there's no way my family and friends have this thing. So we're all going to fucking hang out like it's a regular summer. That's, that's uh, my gut feeling on that. Go back to XM. I don't know how that would work, man. I was building a, a brand new crew and a brand new show, and uh, I took two major hits by losing Carl and Vic. Makes it tough to really, um, really put another show together and and try to sell it out there to people. 
Um, I'm going to continue doing the podcast, and and we'll see where it goes. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll meet new people that I really enjoy uh, doing this with. But uh, I don't see them replacing the friendships that I had with Carl and Vic. That's for sure. Boo 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 bo